Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road. We have been on a Thanksgiving road and we're on our way to the road to Christmas. Boy, that's quite a road for families, isn't it? This is a wonderful time of year and a busy time of year and for some people, a frustrating time of year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying to get it all done. It is. And we have one of our daughters has uh, been working with refugees for a while. They're doing a big Children for Children concert next Sunday. And the kids, their kids and another couple of families are getting together and organizing their friends who are quite talented. And they're doing a talent show. And um, bring, inviting the parents to come. We do, we've do. we been doing this with our kids since they were little kids. But The concept of it is so interesting, the idea that kids, by performing, using their own talents and having the parents and other neighbors come and actually pay to come to the concert, and then the money really belongs to the kids. They earned it through their talents, and then they send it to poor children in different parts of the world. So children for children. Right. And it's really been fun. All of our kids are now doing it. And this year they're sending their money um, to a camp in Greece, a refugee camp that's about to close down if they don't get some funding. And um, Sadie is our daughter who's doing this. And she, um, her friend has been there the last two summers with their children, their three daughters. And wow, I mean, they've been on the ground seeing the need there. So, um, She's kind of into an anti-commercialism um, thing uh, for Christmas. She, she really is worried about having to, too much. Yeah, yeah, do you think we should just not have presents and send this money to poor children? And it's a noble sentiment. Yeah, you know? and I think they are going to just, um, the kids are on board and they're saying, well, we just want one simple thing. Well, a Kindle or something, you know, nice. But And then we'll just send the rest of our stuff to these people who really need it a lot worse than we do. But, Linda, we're getting on. Lots of good stuff. We're getting on a little bit of a tangent, but I think most of the month, Ayers on the Road in December, is going to be focused on Christmas-related things. But today, the theme of our show is actually the the 10th in our little series of the 10 best ideas or the best tips for marriage. And we've gotten through the first nine of them. Those of you who may have missed some of them can go to BYU Radio and just look at our show and go back and see number one, two, three, four, all the way up to nine. The tips that we think, not necessarily our advice, but the things we've observed over the years that seem to work best in a marriage. And we're to number 10 today. And it's an interesting one because it's really about sort of the macro of marriage. What's going on with marriage across the world right now? What are the trends up and down and so on? And how do those affect us? Because we really think that what what people think is happening to marriage in general tends to affect their own marriage. It gives them more hope or less hope and so on. And I guess the, the, to, to try to state the 10th marriage tip that we want to give you to conclude this series, we could say we could say this believe in marriage. We need to believe in the institution of marriage, not only for ourselves and and for the micro of our own lives and our own marriage, but for the macro of the world in general. Because a lot of people right now will say you, you know, will try to tell you that marriage is a doomed institution, that it's going down, that it's 
It's not going to be around for long. The people don't need it anymore. And that can become very, very discouraging to ourselves and to our children as we raise them. It really can. And although we are um, in a little different place right now because we have a grandson who's getting married in less yes, than a month, in about three right. weeks, our first marriage. Talk about the micro. That's and talk about personal. the micro and talk about puppy love i mean love i mean really they are in love it's so fun to see them just enamored with each other and at that stage in life they're just so so excited about this adventure and um that's always so good to see that enthusiasm and that love and that bubbling over effervescent feeling about getting married but there are so many people who are down the road who have run into snags and who also really do, as you said, honey, uh, believe that marriage is doomed and that there just aren't many people that are even getting married. Well, let's start, let's start with some attitudes. There's a recent Pew research study that shows kind of an interesting dichotomy between people thinking family is very important, but maybe marriage isn't important. And that's such an inconsistency. Let me just read a couple of these statistics. The vast majority of Americans, 76%, consider the family to, to be the most important and lasting element of their lives and of society. Another 22% say that family is one of the most important elements. So you add those two together, everyone thinks family is important. Only 1% say family is not important. But the problem that's pointed out in this in this Pew study is that marriage is increasingly optional within this family structure. Here's the statistics on that. Marriage is declining among all groups. Four in 10 say marriage is obsolete. Imagine that. This is a national Pew study. Four out of 10 That's people scary. say marriage is obsolete. Half. Among 25 to 34-year-olds, more are unmarried than married. I mean, that's the key marriage age. That's the time people would be having children and starting their families, 25 to 34. And, and there are more unmarried than married right now in America. And 80% say that an unmarried couple with a child is a family. So in other words, Marriage is not considered by most Americans today to be a necessity within a family. You can have a family, and that's important, and people believe in how important families is, but marriage doesn't necessarily have to be a part of it. So the the thing that our parents, uh, we learned when we were growing up that our parents always said, the little couplet, is fading. You know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. <laughs> right. I mean, that really uh, was believed by everybody, I think, when we were growing up. But now it is really scary how few are believing that. Well, and, and here's why it's so scary. I mean, if you think about the consequences of a trend away from marriage, let me just mention four or five of them. It'll drastically reduce our economic security. I mean, the, the whole structure of marriage and commitment is what raises children, but what also takes care of, of uh, aging parents and so on. And, and how would a society exist without the commitment of marriage? Two, it will undermine our societal motivation and gradually decrease our productivity and abundance. 
Um, falling birth rates affect entrepreneurism. It affects, the, we know the statistics that married families do better economically. So there's economic consequences if marriage goes down. It'll make our living patterns less economical and more wasteful. The fact is that living together as married families is a more efficient way to live than one person in a house, obviously. Four, it will change our outlook and our collective character, pushing us more and more into self-focused attitudes and paradigms that don't do well for broader society. We always like to quote um, David Brooks, one of our favorite columnists, who says, people are not better off when they're given maximum personal freedom to do whatever they want. They're better off when they're enshrouded in commitments that transcend personal choice, commitments to family, God, craft, and country. So if marriage slips away and those commitments are gone, think of the the implications for our collective character. Uh, I think the word is enshrouded, and, and that's a great what I, word, what enshrouded. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but uh, enshrouded well, is, is a good word. It's a really good word. I mean, it's like a warm Enshrouded, yeah. Uh, we've got a shroud. All around us, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so on the one hand, Linda, you could say, wow, both in attitudes and in statistics of numbers where the marriage rate is going down and down, the cohabitation rate without marriage is going up and up, and where um, you know the divorce rate is high and remaining high. Well, and, the divorce rate's a little bit lower just because nobody's getting married. I mean, yeah, not exactly. nobody, but no, so many right. people are not getting married. And chosen singleness. I mean, you could look at these statistics and these research attitudes and say, wow, Marriage is doomed. The institution of marriage is doomed. But here's the interesting other side of the coin. Um, I want to quote something from an article in the Atlantic magazine written by a fellow named Richard Reeves. He says, a new version of marriage is emerging, egalitarian, committed and focused on children. There was a time when college-educated women were the least likely to be married. Today, they are the most important drivers in a new marriage model. Their marriages offer more satisfaction, last longer, and produce more successful children. And he goes on later in the article to say, against all predictions, educated Americans are rejuvenating marriage. So here's the thing that's happened. Um, the, the very demographic group that a couple of generations ago was least likely to get married, the, the educated people who were advocating free love and the, the non-need for ink on a page to prove you loved someone and so on, are now in today's world the ones who are getting married. The educated upper to to, to middle-income people who have simply decided marriage is the best way to live and marriage in, with children is the happiest lifestyle. They're the ones that are rejuvenating, rejuvenating marriage while a lot of the lower income, less educated people are in a very sad scenario deciding that they can't afford marriage, yeah. they can't afford children. Yeah, all of these things that come up every year about that it costs $350,000 to raise a child. How can a middle or lower income 
person think they can possibly have a child they have in the wildest dreams they wouldn't have that much money. And it's just such a crazy notion. They're figuring that you need a separate room built on your house. How, I don't know how they figure that. Designer yeah. clothes. They're not considering that maybe the child could help uh, with the financial once they're you know, in high school. And that they can actually earn their own way in college and so on. I think they're figuring out Ivy League education. It really is deceptive. So here, here you are, a person listening to this radio show and, and thinking about your own family and about your own marriage and so on. What, what is going on around you? And is the institution of marriage really, really in trouble? And does that give you a discouraged feeling about your own marriage and, and, and what is happening? And, and what we want to explore a little more after the break is that there are some really powerfully positive signs about what is going on with marriage in the world and things we can learn from in our individual marriage that are really exciting. And so um, let's, let's all think about that for a little while as we, as we talk together on this episode of Ours on the Road. What's happening to marriage? How can it get better? Let me share one other little thing. There's a wonderful study called the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia. And um, the recent study, the Marriage Project, comes to one rather surprising but very strong and well-supported conclusion. It is that the more educated people are, the better chance they have of getting married and staying married. So I think my optimism, Linda, is you can look at all the the statistics of marriage rates going down and people not saying in public opinion studies that that marriage is even important, that it's just obsolete, and you can get a little discouraged. But then you say to yourself, but you know, the part of society that always sets trends, that is sort of the leader and that sort of brings a new thinking into society at large, is usually the more educated part of society. So we live in this interesting world where educated people are getting married, are advocating marriage, are staying married more than the rest of the population. And I'm thinking that will be a trend that will bring everyone up. Well, we're gonna try and make the second half really upbeat. We're gonna get you excited about marriage. So hang on, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road talking about marriage today. The sad part of marriage that um, so many think is going down and obsolete. And now we're going to tell you uh, some things that are a little more optimistic. In fact, a lot more optimistic. Well, but let me just carry on the, the other side of this study, this, this national marriage study. It concludes that more educated people are getting married and staying married, but it also, and this is a concern, moderately educated couples, even those with some college under their belt, are increasingly less likely than college grads to get married and to stay married. So the, the, the core conclusion is the most consequential marriage trend of our time concerns the broad center of our society where marriage, that iconic middle-class institution, is kind of floundering. And so 
what what is going to happen? Another way to say it is there's kind of a marriage gap between moderately and highly educated Americans. And, you know, the whole idea that uh, marginalization of marriage in middle America can really be worrisome because that's the that's the population that tends to make the American dream, the seedbed of virtue for children and so on. And so, you know, statistically over the last four decades, moderately educated Americans have seen their family lives begin to look more and more like those of the least educated Americans defined as having no high school degree in terms of the fact that they're not getting married. So I want to get past these statistics, you know, Linda, but one more thing. So if you think about it this way, here are some categories where there have been increases among less educated Americans and decreases among those with college degrees, divorce or separation within 10 years of marriage. That's increasing among less educated and decreasing among more educated Percentage of births to never married women. That's increasing in lower educated percentages. The percentage of women who have had three or more sex partners. That's growing fast among less educated segments and declining among more educated. Percentage of marriage um, of, of men unemployed at some point in the last 10 years. That's increasing again among those with less education. So what do we do about this, this marriage gap? Um, because the better educated you are, the more likely you are to say, I have a happy marriage. My marriage is still intact. The percentage of kids living with both parents is high. There's a high percentage that, that believe that premarital sex is not good and will undermine society. All it's, it's such a switch, Linda, because Two generations ago, the, the core of strong marriages were middle-income, blue-collar, church-going Americans. And now they're the ones that aren't getting married. They think it's too expensive. Yeah, and probably there's less church-going, to be honest. Um, although there's a religion, you know, a, a move to religion, I think, but not, I'm mean, not to religion, to spirituality and not religion. So yeah. it's different, but, um, that's a lot of really kind of depressing statistics, honey. Well, but again, um, the, the, the optimism that overshadows it is, and let's, let's get personal here, Linda. Let's, I, I think all this was in a way leading up to a lot of our speaking, a lot of when we go out and, and speak to groups and do our follow up on our books and so on, we are with, well, let's just be very specific. One of the groups we speak most to is called Young Presidents Organization. And give a little idea of what, what kind of group that is, and then I'll tell you why I think that's Well, they have they cannot be in this organization unless they're under 40 and have so many employees and have made so much money. I don't know what yeah, the to be, to, to is join, a lot. To join Young Presidents Organization, you have to be you have to have started a country, a company, not a country. <laughs> not even necessarily started. I mean, it could be a family business. Yeah, you have to be the CEO of a company yeah. that uh, that has a high income and a certain number of employees and so on. So by definition, these are people who run companies and who are type A personalities and who are really well-educated and highly successful. 
Now, why do I bring that up? What are we noticing, Linda, about their families? Um, we actually are so encouraged as we go around um, the world, actually. If you listen to us, we can know we just returned from a six-country tour. And um, we're so excited about the wonderful families and especially marriages. I mean, they come with just their spouse and um, not with the children. We don't see them with their children. Maybe they're a lot worse. With well, children, sometimes we have we have family occasionally gatherings we bring where, the they, children, where yeah. they bring their children. At the end, but but usually, usually it's just couples. Yeah, and this one, the, we ended in Madrid, and we had the most marvelous group of parents I think we've ever had. There were 80 people, 40 couples, who were so dedicated to their families. They were quite incredible. And I mean, how people say, how can you tell? You just, you know, you speak to them for two hours and have a question and answer and then have a little social and so on. But we did get to talk to some of them in depth and we were so impressed with what they were doing with their children. Um, they are, again, in this uh, category you were talking about, highly educated, highly motivated and so on. But it's so exciting to see that their central focus was their family. So I guess one, one of the things we're saying, so many of you who listen to, to BYU Radio are, are strongly religious and spiritual people who are motivated partly by your faith and by your beliefs to have a strong marriage and to work hard toward a strong family. But it's, it's very encouraging to find that in the more secular world, among people who may not have a religion or may not have any sort of... Um, particular motivation of morality or of, of religion telling them they should be married, there are nonetheless this tremendous trend of people making the choice to, to prioritize their marriages and their families, not because they think they should do it or feel guilty if they don't, but because they have just concluded that it is the best way to they live, found the happiest so much way joy to live. In, in living with their families. And I do have to say, because you just said that, that maybe the reason there was so much dedication in that audience is that Madrid and Spain in general is still so very Catholic. They do have a strong basis in the church. And we had a dinner party the night before with several families who were totally committed uh, to religion and to God and to doing the best they could and especially to family. So you're saying maybe in Spain there was this convergence of, of both things, the, the educated analytical approach to families, the best way to live, but also the religious tradition that right. was there. Right. And I guess that's what we're really saying is that the, the two strongest trends in marriage which you wouldn't necessarily expect to go together. The, the, the marriages that are strongest are either coming out of a strongly religious tradition, like a Catholic tradition or a Mormon or a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tradition, or they're coming out of secular people without religion, but with a strong analytical bias toward living together and staying committed and being stable and raising children. And those two trends are the things that are keeping marriage afloat. Yeah, I think it's really true. And it's kind of exciting, really, because uh, the farther we go, the more we see. I mean, even in Romania, who's still kind of struggling under the trying to get out from under the, right. you know, the communist regime there. Um, it was darker and it was harder, but it was so much different than it was when we were there 20 years ago um, with our daughter, who was a missionary there. 
um, there is more light and more understanding. And those families were wonderful families as well. And uh, also the ones in Amsterdam. Yeah, I was going to say Amsterdam is an interesting one because a lot of people think of the Netherlands and the whole Dutch society is very liberal, very socialistic, very um, oriented to individual fulfillment and so on. And, and yet, again, the group we were meeting with there, educated college people who are just so strong on their marriage and who are really working so hard to make it work. And, and so it's a powerful thing. It well, cuts across political boundaries. It does. And actually, social economic levels, too. I mean, we know so many wonderful families. Uh, we were in Canada, too, with a large group of parents who were maybe the most dedicated of all. Um, because they had been trained in a certain religion, yeah. <laughs> uh, Latter Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints members, most of them, 10% or so, were non-members. But um, we see that, um, and they were probably middle class, uh, you know, people, but so strong and dedicated. We, we, I don't think you want to say that educated people are the only ones that have good families. No, I'm more. saying there's these two trends that are that are that are the two strongest sort of things pushing marriage up in the world are among the religious communities, but also among the educated communities. And I think those two communities are strong enough that we can make positive predictions about marriage in the long run. Yeah, I, it really was an encouraging um, tour when we saw all these beautiful families um, starting in Canada and Amsterdam and then uh, Romania and Madrid. And then we also were in Zurich and London where we have kids. And, and we see, my gosh, our kids in New York City are living in the middle of the family mecca of the world. <laughs> there are so many families on the Upper West Side of New York City who are so dedicated to their families. It is inspiring to see those baby carriages going up and down and those little four-year-olds on scooters going up and down, parents trying to run after them. It's a wonderful world. Maybe the way to conclude, Linda, is to, is to get back to the word where we're writing a new book and we're calling, the, at least part of the title is going to be the word marriaging. And I think that's where I want to kind of conclude today is that, you know, parenting, you think of the word parenting, that's a, that's a, a skill set, that's a, an art, that's a science. How do we get better at it? How do we improve at it? We're seeing more and more people in the world where marriaging is the same thing. That's our word that we're making up, but, but it's a better term than marriage because it's a happening skill set. We're getting better at marriaging. We, we want to be better at it. We want to improve. We want to continually grow in our relationship. And that's kind of the bottom line, that while marriage in general might be in trouble statistically across the world, the fact is that the very best marriages yeah, I really believe this, Linda. The very best marriages in the history of the world are actually happening now. Yeah. Um, they're, they're doing more for us. Marriage used to be just a thing of convenience. Get married because it's more economically sure. and raise kids to work on the farm. Now it's a self-fulfilling, wonderful thing. The highest form of marriage in history exists today. And that is the truth. That's exciting. We hope you all agree with us and join us again next week on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. 